It is wonderful to see all of you here this morning, even though it is a dark and gloomy day, or as I like to say, it's a perfect day to be a duck. If you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to take them, um, take them and open them up to the book of Exodus. Today we will be finally finishing our series in Exodus. We'll be looking at the chapter 32, uh, verses 1 through 6. Starting in verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us, as for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened, what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Egypt, um, Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. And he made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be the fe a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drank and rose up to play. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have a heavy passage to work through this morning. Please use your spirit to convict us, to, to strengthen us, and to instruct us. Help us to understand what this passage means and how we can apply it to our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen me to preach, to preach your word faithfully this morning. Do not let a word depart from my lips that would not bring glory to anything other than you. Use your spirit to empower me to be faithful to this passage and also to you. We love you, God. We thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this past week, I had a fairly busy day, <laughs> one day. Um, I had a doctor's appointment in Williamsport, and then I had later had to go subbing down in Loganton. Normally, that would not have been an issue, except for the fact that there were some complications and the apartment actually had to be pushed back later than I really wanted it to be. And I was nervous. However, I luckily had one of these little guys. Most of us have one, right? There's such a nice tool, and it even has Google Maps. Such a wonderful thing when you're lost and you, or you don't know how to get somewhere. Never had an issue with it yet. Knock on wood. Um, and so I found out using Google Maps that I had more than enough time to not only get to my job, but also to stop by breakfast. Cell phones are such a wonderful tool, aren't they? But more often than not, and I tend to be the same way, it almost becomes an, an idol and an obsession. The very thing that is meant to be a tool and a wonderful, great thing becomes my own personal idol. 
scrolling through Facebook will tends to lead, what, to a half an hour political dissertation. Or perhaps a new mobile game catches my attention and, and we spend hours playing this brand new game that we don't even like. This very thing can easily become an idol. And our cell phones are just one example of how we can almost throw anything into an idol. Just like the Israelites in our passage here this morning, these just are examples that serve to show us what the true problem is. The problem with the Israelites wasn't that God made them wait too long. It was that they weren't patient enough. They didn't trust God. Which is an odd thing, because in our series in Exodus, the question keeps I mean, the question that comes to my mind is, why? Why wouldn't they trust God? After all, God was the one that gave plagues to Egypt. God was the one who parted the Red Sea. God even gave them food and water to strengthen them along their journey. The problem isn't so much in the things that become our idol, or the circumstances, the situations that we're in. The problem is us. Which leads us to our very first point this morning. <coughs> Excuse me. Our first point this morning is that we need God in our hearts. Point number one, we need God in our hearts. Now this should be fairly obvious to us now. Just two weeks ago, Pastor Tim preached about God in the law. How the law acts as a mirror to our, own, to our very own soul. It reveals to us just how bad we truly are. I got a rager for you. Sometime, whether today, tomorrow, this week, I want you to attempt to obey the Ten Commandments perfectly. And let me know how that goes. Because I'm willing to bet we're not going to get very far. Our kids are going to annoy us. Facebook is going to anger us. Something's going to happen. Or we are going to react to something poorly. The problem isn't in circumstances. The problem is us. And even just last week, thinking about how Pastor Tim also preached about God in the desert. How all of Scripture is designed to point us to God. Point us to how great God is. How perfect God is. How wonderful and gracious and merciful God is. God is good. But this reveals to us a problem. God is good but we are not. God is just. We are unjust. God is merciful. We are merciless. God is gracious. We are ungracious. Do we see a theme? We need what God is. We need God, and more specifically, we need him in our hearts to strengthen us to do the right thing, to worship him, to love him. We need God. 
We see that in our passage this morning, how the Israelites, when God left them to their own devices, what was the very first thing that they did? They didn't pray. They didn't worship God. They created their own God. The issue wasn't God, once again, it wasn't that God made them wait too long. The problem was the, they rejected God and they replaced him with a fake who would, who would satisfy their own desires. Our first point was that we need God in our hearts. Our second point is we replace God with our own gods. Our second point this, this morning is that we replace God with our own gods. In our passage, it says that Moses delayed from going, to, going down from the mountain when the Israelites decided that they had enough raiding. I can almost hear them asking, can you? Where is this God that promised to save us from Pharaoh? Where, why did this Moses guy just lead us here to the bottom of a mountain just to desert us? How can God do this to me? Or even, how could God let this happen to me? Just how easy is it for us to forget the wonderful, the miraculous, the great things that God has done when we experience trouble? How quickly do we turn from one moment praising, worshiping God and his greatness, and then the very next, asking where he is. Hear me out. I'm not saying that times won't get tough, because they will. But, but here's the pro here is what I am asking, though. How often when times get tough, do we, and by the way, this is a royal we, I'm very much included in here. How often do we actually wait patiently knowing that God is in control even in our darkest of days do we believe God do we actually take him at his word in those times do we do we truly believe that, that God will uphold his promises? And that when Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says that all things work together for the good of God's children, do we believe it? That God is using all, all things, even the bad and the ugly, to make us more like him for our own good? When we lose a job or a family member, when our health deteriorates, sorry. Where do we go for relief? Where do we go? The Israelites, they, they decide that they need a God they can control. A God that doesn't have complications. A, a God that they can understand. A God that works on their own time frame. A God who would be okay and would approve of any of their desires. It's not a coincidence that the, after they 
sacrifice and that they offered up worship to this new God, that they behaved promiscuously. By design, their new God was nothing like Jehovah. Their new God was nothing like the God that brought them out from Egypt, that parted the Red Sea. This God did not have power over them. So the question then turns to, what about us? What about us here this morning? What about our golden calves? What about our own idols, our own gods that we worship? John Calvin is quoted saying this, The human heart is a, pl- is a perpetual idol factory. The human heart, that's my heart, that's your heart, that's all of our hearts, is a perpetual, always working. It creates idols every day. This passage here is a prime example of this. Yet, we, we, we have a need to worship God. God built us to have a need to love him, to worship him, and adore him. And yet, in our own sinful hearts, our own sinful natures, we substitute God with a God of our creation, our own choosing. The question isn't, do we have a golden calf? But instead, what is our golden calf? What is our idol, our God? Is it comfort? Do we try to find escape from a difficult reality around us with video games, sports, alcohol, money? Do, maybe, we, maybe we worship our own self-image. I am a good person. I, I go to the Salvation Army every day. I donate. I am a good person. Treat me as such. Look at me as a good person. I wear the right clothes. I say the right things. I hang out with the right people. I drive the right car. Whatever our idols may be, we need to get rid of them. They are fakes. They are phonies. They have no power to save us. It's not without irony that the God the Israelites created was a calf. A calf or an ox was a symbol of power, of strength. And yet, ironically enough, this God had absolutely no power. It could not save either the Israelites from God's wrath, nor could it save itself. Later on in chapter 32, verses 19 through 20, Moses takes this golden calf, he melts it down, grinds it into powder, Excuse me. And then he forces the Israelites to take the powder into their water and drink it. It had no power to save even itself. This God is absolutely useless. And so useless, and yet the Israelites trusted in what to bring them to the promised land? Did they trust Jehovah? No. They trusted the golden calf that got ground down into powder, and then they were forced to drink it. And not only that, in verses 26 to 29 in the same chapter, Moses takes the Levites, the people who would become the priests of God, 
and he sets them loose on the Israelites. They were tasked to, their ordination service was to kill all who would, who had worshipped the golden calf. How humiliating is that? Not only did they trade the Lord, the God Almighty, the one who created all things for a fake, a phony, but the soon-to-be priests of the Lord executed judgment on you. How humiliating. This new religion was destroyed almost as quickly as it was created. These instances of judgment show that God will not only let us make our own gods, by the way, but he will also let us face the consequences of this. How disappointing is it that when we find out that sports can't fill the hole in our heart? How absolutely devastating is it that no amount of popularity or prestige could ever satisfy our need to worship a holy God? How depressing is it that when we put our hope in politics, we find out that the person we elected is just as messed up as we are? The worst punishment that we could receive from our idols almost seems, it almost looks as if this punishment is when God lets us see our idols fail us. And this is why we need to place our hope in God. This is a very dark passage. It, it reveals to us our desperate need for God, the creator of all things, the Almighty One. And yet, what do we do? What do we do with that need? We tend to try to replace God with idols that can't save us. They can't bring us happiness. They will only ever fail us and doom us. And yet, and yet, God in his graciousness, God in his mercy, in spite of our attempt to continue to try to replace him, has made a way to satisfy and supply our need for him. Our third and final point here this morning, God makes a way to satisfy our need for him. God makes a way to satisfy our need for him. When I was preparing this particular sermon, the, the thing that stuck out to me the most was not so much Israel's sin, but it was instead Moses' intercession for them. Moses intercedes for Israel, not just once, but twice. He first intercedes for their lives in chapter 32, verses 11 through 14, and then he intercedes for God to stay with them and to continue to lead them into the promised land in spite of their sin in chapter 33, verses 12 through 16. If you haven't re read 32 through 34, please do so tonight. Read them, look at them, and remember this, God did not need someone to talk him out of anything. God did not need, this, he didn't need an advisor. He doesn't need a mentor. God would have been absolutely correct to destroy the Israelites and to even leave them dying to try to conquer the promised land. 
That would have been the just thing to do. But instead, God is using this as a sneak peek to what would, have, what would later happen on the cross. You see, like, just like Moses interceded on behalf of Israel, Jesus intercedes on the cross for his children. While Moses interceded for a physical salvation, Christ interceded for a spiritual and eternal salvation. Moses appealed for God to remain with his people. Jesus made a way for God to be in the heart of his people. On the cross, Jesus Christ took the punishment we deserve for our golden calves, and he gave us his righteousness, so that whenever God looks upon us, he doesn't see us, he doesn't see our idols, our golden calves, our gods. He sees his son, his perfect son, perfectly obedient in all things. Christ's perfect obedience is credited to us. It's given to us. But not only that, we receive the spirit of God. This spirit continually, constantly intercedes upon us. He convicts us of our sins. He helps us and strengthens us to do what is right, to repent of our sins, to get rid of our idols, to get rid of our golden calves, and to love and worship God. We are empowered to now fight the good fight. Yes, we will have dark days. We're going to experience pain. We're going to have some troubled waters up ahead of us. We're going to spend some considerable time in the valleys. But, but now, we can joyfully quote Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 1, where it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or verse 28, We now, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good all things we are not alone we are not alone in our pain and our suffering we're not alone during this corona epidemic we're not alone in all this confusion all this conflict we are not alone god is with us and how great is this how wonderful is this that God has made a way to satisfy our deepest need, our deepest desires in spite of who we are. We just need to go to God. We just need to ask for God the, the gift that he so freely gives us through Jesus Christ. A salvation from our sins. A salvation from the justice we deserve. But more importantly, being adopted into God's family having God within our hearts to strengthen us and to obey. God surely deserves our absolute affection and worship. Oh, what a wonderful Savior Jesus Christ is, who sees us worshiping our own idols, worshiping our own gods, and yet still chooses to save us anyways and make a way so that we may be with him for all of eternity. Let us pray. Father, this passage is indeed deep, dark and heavy. 
is a reminder of our own hearts, Lord, how we, in our own sinful nature, continue to worship idols, to worship the things that you have created. But Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the salvation you freely offer to all who would believe, to all who would go to you and ask and receive. We pray, Father, that as this week goes on, that you'd help, you'd use your spirit to convict us of our own idols, that we may turn away from these, these fakes, these phonies, that we may turn to you in worship and adoration, knowing that you are the true God, and only in you is there power and might. Father, we love you, O Lord. We praise you, Father, and praise in Jesus' name.